Hi, I'm Jeff Rona. I am a film composer here in Los Angeles. And I am here to talk with our good friend Kaya about whatever it is he wants to talk about. <laughs> and I'm about to find out with you together. So, buckle up. <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much for, for inviting me back to your studio. It's such a pleasure to be with it's you. It's been great. When were you here last? Uh, right year when Power two? Season 2. So that was about a year, about a year and a half ago. Yeah, well, quite some time. So yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it was such a good time. So great, thanks for doing it again. <laughs> Always, we'll just do this every day. Every day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so last time we did talk about your entire career. So anyone listening right now or watching, please go check Sweet. out that interview. We talked a lot about your old stuff, White Squall, working with Hans, kind of. Yeah. Like, but um, for Hans, who? Uh, There's a German guy. <laughs> uh, last name is Zimmer. I don't know. Doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> um, so. But to start off, I would like to just kind of revisit your background <clears throat> and uh, what really inspired you to follow this career path and what made you fall in love with music storytelling? That's a good question. You know, it never occurred to me uh, to score films at all. Mm -hmm. I played music since I was a, as a kid, but my, my fascination, my passion was... I planned to be a photographer. I had a right, an yeah. uncle who was a super successful photographer and he taught me and I had a dark room and... This was great, and I really felt that I had a that my future was going to be visual. Yeah. Um, but the whole time I was playing music, you know, I was playing around uh, a little bit. I played flute. I had a band. We won some competitions. We did some little shows. It was it was just a little side thing for me. But by the time I was in college, it was a little more important. Right. And. More importantly than what I learned in college, I had a couple of private teachers who were influential uh, on my thinking about music and who inspired me. I got very inspired by two teachers who were jazz musicians. Mm -hmm. um, but what happened that I think really had an impact on me was in my second year of college, so I'm 19 or 20. Yeah. Um, I had I changed I had a different roommate, uh, and um, I ended up sharing an apartment for about a year with quirky guy, kind of cool, kind of intense, uh -huh. <laughs> and he only lived for two things: uh, pornography and film scores. <laughs> and 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 the pornography was not to be shared, but right he had a film score collection, and I had never heard of film score. Wow. I mean, I went to movies, but yeah. I never Thought listened way, to yeah. film. Mm -hmm. So here I am, 20, and he plays a Jerry Goldsmith score to Logan's Run mm -hmm. from the early mid-70s. Yeah. Hybrid electronic orchestral score, mostly electronic. Right. And I was already completely deep into electronics and sound design. and Yeah experimental music and I was mesmerized and then he put on Chinatown and then <laughs> I went through all of his uh, all of his music and then I realized this is this was something that I didn't know if I could do it right but I had the tools to try yeah so that was kind of a pivotal thing for me was kind of the light bulb went off there yeah wow. he became one of danny elfman's main orchestrators i think he still is what was his name edgardo simone oh okay so after steve bartek 
Right, right, yeah. Uh, Edgardo comes in and works on, if not every film, most. Haven't seen him in many, many, many years. Yeah. But fascinating guy. Knew more about music in his pinky than I knew in my whole body. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. So, um, fast forward many years later, we're here now. Yes, yeah, right. Um, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Hi. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... We and we did talk about a lot of the stuff, all of your other uh, individual projects in the last thing. But I do want to talk about one of your newest, um, most recent project, um, which is Viram, which is this amazing uh, Indian film that you just did. My first movie in India. Wow, and that was a little bit of a bucket list thing yeah, for me. It was to do an Indian movie. Absolutely, wow. and a lot of people in the U.S. doesn't realize that the Indian film industry. I mean, it is huge. I mean, it is just ginormous as, as Hollywood, it, in terms of Hollywood. It's you know. a part of the culture in a way that's not anything like we are here. Right. I mean, we love movies, but yeah. we love, we, I would say we love TV more. Yeah. So if you take whatever the most, you know, rabid fan base is of American culture and you quadruple it, that sort of movies right. in India, they yeah. put out, they still put out several hundred movies a year. Yeah. Uh, some are musicals. This was a, a retelling of Macbeth. Beth. Yes, yes. Done as a historical epic drama, super deep, right. heavy, um, and done almost entirely CG. So they shot it on a on a green screen wow. stage. So when we were doing it, it was like people standing on apple boxes. Oh man, so you, know, you didn't have the holding stuff. holding wow. cubes. <laughs> and in then it, it wasn't until we were way into the score that we started to see the very first images of the film. And it was unbelievable, the art direction on this thing. The level of imagination that they put into the... And this is this was right. not unique, although yeah. I think V-ROM was the highest budget film of the year for this year from India. Wow. Which And I don't know what that means. Yeah. I mean, I could, you know, mean a dollar twenty-seven, yeah. but <laughs> it, it's impressive. And they brought in, um, they brought in not the DP but the colorist mm. was an American guy named Jeff Olm who did the Revenant, no, yeah. and done a bunch of movies. And so he really took a big role in the look of the film. Mm. And then it's a martial, it's kind of a martial arts movie. And so the, the martial arts choreographer was another American who did wow. something or other. I have no idea what. Yeah. But um, something cool. So, but how did this come together? I mean, when, when did they come searching for an American composer, or did you go searching for an Indian film to score? Um, you know, they were keen on an American composer because they wanted they want the movie to be universal, right? Uh, ish. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the plot and the storyline and the characters come from directly out of. Uh, Hindu mythology. So these are characters that sort of existed, right? And and uh, there's a just such a, a rich history. So there's like this is t this takes place in a very specific region of India in a very specific. It's about three or four hundred years ago, mm -hmm. and nothing that I knew about at all. Uh, so I had to get a little bit educated. But they no, they came yeah. knocking on Hollywood's door and somehow. <laughs> ended up with me god knows how many people turned it down but um they ended up with me and that's and, um, fantastic i mean and they ended up with me because they heard two things that i had done 
uh, God of War for Sony PlayStation. Right. Which is, which, is which sits, which is kind of sits in this world. Yeah. Um, and they heard a couple other things that I had done, but I think it was actually that game that they said, yeah, this is what we want. It's kind of ancient. Right. It's kind of massive. It's, it's thematic, but it's, you know, it's got its own vibe to it. Right. So the score that I did for them is kind of epic, western, ancient, quote-unquote ancient, mm -hmm. combined with some elements of traditional Indian instruments. Right. And we should talk about that, because they really put took me on a little bit of a ride that was fascinating. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah, it. Um, most of the time. <laughs> um, and then there are parts of the score that are actually very electronic, because... Well, because I wanted to. Yeah. And there's a there was a, th I think a theme that ran through the film that was sort of the unknown and the mysterious. Right. Um, just like in Macbeth, there's an oracle. There's a you know a woman right. who sees the future and right, says, right. you know, it's not going to end well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Mister and Mrs. Macbeth, this isn't going to go well. Ah, right. forget about it. You know, what does she know? She's <laughs> some chick in a cave. Just some oracle. So, um, so for that, I went very abstract mm. and electronic and very ambient uh, with just hints of, of the rest of the score sort of sitting a little bit underneath it but yeah. then 80% of the score sounds like 75% of the score is mas macho testosterone yeah which is not yeah, which something is... I get to do very often right. you know? it's, yeah. it's a muscle I enjoy getting a chance to flex every so often yeah absolutely you know and you mentioned uh, the instrumentation and, and using certain instruments but it, it you, so they didn't want a western sounding score they wanted to more mass appeal not have just kind of uh, kind of uh, focus on kind of Indian traditional music, but did they did you utilize <clears throat> in Indian uh, traditions in here and melodies or anything like of that sort? So when I started writing, I had this idea of something that I've done in the past, which is blending kind of a Western approach with world music. I've done right. it a lot. Yeah, yeah. I've worked a lot with Persian and Middle Eastern musicians. Uh, going back to working on The Prince of Egypt, yeah, um, where I was the producer for all of the world music recordings, and before that working with Philip Glass, bringing in uh, on some of his films where we were integrating world music. And then on my own scores, tons of times bringing yeah. in um, Indian musicians. I used to work with uh, El Shankar, uh, who's the uh, Indian violinist who used to tour with Peter Gabriel mm. and Frank Zappa, oddly. Um, whose brother is Subramanian, who's just one of the great tabla virtuosos. So I worked with him for years. And wow. um, anyway, there there is an amazing world music community in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been kind of swimming in those waters for 20 years or yeah, more, yeah. working with, well, Azam Ali is one of my best friends right. and somebody who has sung for me and has taught me everything. And her husband, uh, Ramin Tarkian, who plays... A lot of the stringed instruments for me and right. who has educated me into Persian uh, traditional music and there's a whole understanding of it so I've I've been steeped in Indian music in Middle Eastern music uh, Balkan music Balkan singing uh, for some scores and I had somebody teach me how uh, you know Bulgarian women's choirs wow. harmonized so I mean for me, that's fantastic. So, you know, it's always been an important thing to me, and I've used it on scores that had nothing to do with world right. uh, themes. Just in my own scores for American television, it's been it's been a fabulous thing. I play 
uh, bring in uh, musicians from all over the place. So my first inclination on working on this film was I'm going to do what I love to do, which right. is to take electronics and orchestral writing and then write instrument, you know, write for traditional instruments as part of the fabric. Right. So I wrote my first sketches that included some bansuri, which is the Indian flute, Indian mm -hmm. violin, and, uh, and some tabla. And I thought, I think this is pretty damn cool. Yeah. So send it off. First thing they said, stop. Do not use any Indian instruments. Wow. If we want any, we have musicians here who play Indian instruments because it's India. <laughs> so the idea is is that I think right. with a thick American accent. Yeah. And they didn't want that. They right. said, We have a we have a producer here. You just tell them what you want and they'll do it. So that's what we did. I wrote a a lot of the score without any in, without any world, or at this point it's not world anymore, yeah. without any local instruments, without any indigenous Indian instruments. and But I left holes without any specificity of what would go in those holes. Okay. And then I got in touch with their producer, who ended up pull, pulling in local musicians into a small, into a recording studio uh -huh. in um, Bangalore, I think, and sending me tracks and then I could say yeah or no or do it again and so we did that for um, a couple of months wow. um, I would send him sketches and a click and he'd send back stuff after a while something changed I think he got sick and because I, th I saw him like put a thing on Twitter or Facebook that he was in a hospital, but I was still getting tracks back. But I didn't like them. They weren't good. Uh -huh. So something was wrong. And it was none of my business to ask. Right. Because he wasn't telling me anything. And the director said, just keep going. Yeah. Eventually, I started to take a few things into my own hands. And I, there's a wonderful sitar. Well, there are quite a few great sitar players here. Yeah. So um, I brought in a sitar player of my own. And she was amazing, and we did that. And I played some of my instruments, and uh, I may have used a sample or two. And um, but by the end of it, they were, you know, the director was busy finishing up the CG right. and the color timing, and he was happy. Right. You know what was interesting was once, once I crossed a kind of a, a certain threshold where there was like two or three cues in a row, and they they really liked them. They really just kind of let me finish the movie on my own Wow. pretty much. It was, I would say this, you know, typically the second half of a project gets more hands-on. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody starts to realize that this shit's real. Yeah. And, and you know... Um, but I guess it's just a level of trust, though, too, that once they knew that you were on the track, they're like, they let you... Yeah. I've really awesome. never experienced that before. Yeah. So I would only get the occasional, oh, could you right. make this transition, you know, where it gets exciting, could you start that a little sooner? Right. Really very basic structural notes, but it was never about the music. I'd written all my themes, they liked the themes. Right. Well, you know, I started the process the way I like to start almost any process, which is just writing a suite of themes that had no mm. direct correlation to any specific scenes in the movie. Right. I think we talked about this last yeah. time. Yeah. And... Um, that's just how I get all my good and bad ideas out of out of right. the way. And then I let them pick. 
and they get they'll get to say, oh, I think that would be good in the fights. I think that would be good in the mm. in the mystery. I think that would be good. And if that if it was I hadn't if if it was what I was thinking, great. And if it wasn't, genius. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Them. <laughs> and um, and so we you know it just worked out. I got to use all of my skills working with world music. Plus, there was some amazing um, work that they brought to me wow. that I could, you know, I could do my little slicing yeah. and dicing. And the movie, of course, was they were recutting it. So cues that were finished were, you know, chop, chop. Well, Cody mentioned beforehand that it was filmed in three languages. Ah, by the way, Cody <laughs> runs my studio. He runs my life. He tells me what to do. He's sitting over there and it makes me nervous. <laughs> Um, so, and that must, and, and the certain dialects, of course, wouldn't transfer certain things. Okay, right. Short, so, how did that work? Exactly. <laughs> so, they told me initially that the movie would be shot in three languages because bigger films in India are done that way. Right. Um, they shot it. The main language for movies is a language I had never heard of before, which is embarrassing. Uh -huh. But there's a language called Malayalam. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> what? <laughs> and it is the language that most film and television and media is spoken. Wow. And about two thirds of the country speaks it. About a third speak Hindi. Right. So they hired bilingual or trilingual because then they also shot it in English. Right. And for the international market. Because they didn't want to use subtitles. So I worked to one version because they told me that the movie would be cut in such a way that one, that all three would be the same edit. They just right. would swap out shots. Right. This was not true. <laughs> and so we ended up, at the very end, we hired a music editor wow. who cut one language. Cody cut another language while I was still doing revisions on the first language because they were still recutting that. And it was all... So the minute I fi finished something and mixed it and stemmed it out, uh, one, you know, in that corner was Hindi, in that corner English, in my corner the original language. And, um, you know, it's funny. So, uh, you know, a small part of India speaks, uh, you know, wants to watch the movie in Hindi. But that small part is like nearly a billion people. <laughs> so... <laughs> For filmmakers, it's a market that even though it's only a third or less than a third of what the country wants right. to watch, it's bigger than the United States by far. Wow, yeah. Because we're only six, seven hundred, less than 700 million people yeah. in the country. It was like, it was almost a billion speaking that wanted, that would watch the Hindi version. So, yeah. Now, the, it's an action movie, so any of the scenes with action, they didn't need to yeah, recut. But all the talking scenes, so... I don't know, about a third of the music had to be rewritten or re-edited wow. to match, uh, to re to, to reconform to those. So there, is there three different versions of the score with slightly different variations? From, yeah. So every, each language would have a little bit different, a little different. Well, yeah. pretty much just edits. And yeah. I've never heard them, so. Wow. Are they good? <laughs> They're great. They're great. Better than the original? <laughs> Better than the original. Um, so I don't even know if they were longer or shorter. Or both. Wow. Was it longer or shorter? A little bit of both. A little column A, little column B. Yeah. All of the above. Yeah. <laughs> it was fascinating. You know, um, I only met the director in person once. 
Wow. And we'd already finished. Wow. We had Skyped once. His English was pretty good. Yeah. Not great, but pretty good. But the producer of the film actually lives in Chicago. Oh, wow. Okay. And kind of runs a business here and, and runs the business for him mm. there. Apparently, he's a very established director. This was his nearly 20th movie, I think. Oh, wow. And yeah. uh, he's been doing a series of kind of historical epic films. So, um, you know, he def they did send me a movie to watch. And they said, this was the top grossing movie in India the year before. Mm-hmm. We think you should watch it. Not because we love the music, we don't. But this was the most successful movie, wink, right. wink. So <laughs> it was one of the crazy, it was crazy, it was insane. Uh, I've seen, yeah, you see the clips, it's it become viral, the Indian action films. Um, I mean, the ones that are done more with, like, tongue-in-cheek, um, that are yeah. really over the top and quite, I mean, they look extremely entertaining. <laughs> I'm hoping that that one was t- tongue-in-cheek, because yeah. it had things that, I mean, they defied physics. Yeah, exactly. In, in, you see these cars rolling, <laughs> and punching and grabbing from the, uh, yeah, it's funny, it's, like, pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, Instead of playing from the sequencer because uh, reopening the file, it's not exactly right. right. So I have the soundtrack yeah. on Sony Classics, by the way. Um, <laughs> I have the soundtrack album here. So the, the mixes are just a little easier for me to get to. So um, I'll play a couple things and I can say a few things. Yeah, like so this first one is the opening of the film. Mm-hmm. Little intro, and then here's the main theme. So You know, in, in Indian culture, like in Hindu mythology, there's it's the duality of the masculine and feminine. Uh-huh. And in the score, this is the masculine. Right. This is the heroic theme. But there's a feminine theme, and I try to write it equally heroic. Uh-huh. Although the women in the movie are really horrible. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I'll just... So... This is just, this is one of the fighting cues. And this is like a, like a, like the conflict theme. It's that simple. So, you know, I love it. You know, the, the simple is not always works. Because it's, you know, there's a sort of a nobility. <laughs> at least at the beginning, as they're going through these various right. duels, it's sort of, you know, deciding who's... There's a, a, a history of, of this kind of fighting where the winner goes on to fight somebody from another city, and it's sort of, you know, it's like brackets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like brackets, but, but it, seems but like it ends badly you're, for you're, everybody. Yeah, you're definitely allowed to, I mean, it's a very melodic score, too. It and, is, I think. Yeah, and that's something that I feel like in Hollywood today, 
is kind of disappearing a little bit where in our, our action movies I, I grew up in the 90s and that's when I fell in love with action music including your music and, and Hans I don't music. think I did any action music in the 90s I mean well, I thought I mean, White Squall is not no, action no, no, but just, about, <laughs> White Squall is it's about boys who die that's it that's all that is there's no action they just drown <laughs> but they sink it's, it's about sinking <laughs> you know boys who die um, but yeah I, oh spoiler <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway so, yeah, melodic, but I mentioned that there's an electronic element to the score. Right. So this is sort of the expression of the mystical. Right. So this is not the feminine theme, but this is sort of part of the mystery. These women, these strange female voices, um, these electronic pads, right. and the, really the only thing that's happening orchestrally is just the, the just the bass. Right. That's it. Yeah. So, and there's some parts that are far more electronic because I don't think I, we put on the score on the soundtrack. So I'm gonna let me skip ahead. So there there is a feminine theme right and and the movie keeps moving back and forth as the plot gets darker and darker mm -hmm. then they sort of it's they sort of start to melt and then this sort of hideousness kind of comes up instead a lot of these little uh, pluck things is me playing this little American folk instrument that oh, just wow. sounds very Eastern for some reason yeah. It's just that's a bit of misdirection. themes just from this point forward those are the main themes there's really only three or four real notable themes right this is all very super electronic backwards bells yeah, weird thing. twisted voices um, the beginnings of some of the Indian instruments skip around to find anything let's forget about that um, do you remember what this scene was Cody Oh yeah, this is where we're meeting 
the the Lady Macbeth character named Kalari. Kutumani. Kutumani, thank you. And um, and again, we have no reason to think she is going to be the downfall of the Macbeth character. Yeah. Sitar. So it's you know it's uh, it's pretty. Yeah. Because you need to you need to start somewhere. Right. You know, and you can't start with. Well, sometimes you can you can be ambiguous. Right. You know, sometimes you can kind of be in the middle where you go, not good, not bad. Yeah. Like you know, John Woo has this philosophy of his heroes are bad and his villains are good at right. some level. And musically, that tends to be how those scores go. Right. There's like very lovely music for the villains and kind of dark music for the heroes yeah, because yeah. he likes swapping things around. And in this, my feeling was to start from a pure place and end up in a different pure place um, as, as, it, as it unfolds. And I, let's see if there's anything. <laughs> Indian instruments that they sent to us, these, these big, big long horns, you know. And I ran them through effects, and uh, I can't leave anything alone. <laughs> I am working on that. <laughs> A little bit of mystery that comes back from the beginning of the film. Lots and lots and lots of connections. If, if you're if you're listening to the score, yeah. if you've seen the film, you start to realize that the score does connect a lot of dots that you don't know at first. And shitloads of drums, because you know, it's, what year is it? And here's that theme again. That's that sort of noble fighting theme. Things are still fine. Um, <laughs> we're starting to move into the middle of the film, and it's like things are starting to go wrong. Right. You know, uh, the Lady Macbeth has sort of is convincing the Macbeth to kill his. It's different. It's not the, the uncle like it is in uh, Macbeth. Um, and, uh, but now this is the beginnings of regret. The movie is really about regret, I guess. Well, so is Macbeth. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, don't, don't always do what you're told. <laughs> you know, if somebody says, you know, go, you know, go kill your brother, cousin, uncle, father, mother. <laughs> there are reasons not to. This is back to that sort of electronic. This is, again... When mystery comes back, the oracle comes back, it always turns into this, these electronic pads and these filtered voices. Yeah, we just, take, we just took a look at, uh, you kind of walk us through the score a little bit, but uh, a big part of the film was you wrote an original song for it. Yeah. And um, I remember you, you were just discussing how it was, in, in Indian films, that is the most important part. 
So talk the one, about yeah the the biggest scrutiny that I had in the whole process more than the, anything I wrote, and how many minutes of music in the score like eighty seven eighty five shit fucking shitload of music man <laughs> yeah you know and it was all big right but um yeah I knew ahead of time that my that the job was to write the score and to write a song yeah so. Um, I knew that the song would probably be based on some theme that was going to pop up along the way. Right. Because, you know, the handful of times that I've written original songs on films, and I, you know, I think of songwriting so much more, I'm so much more impressed with songwriting than I am with film scoring. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm not a closet uh, songwriter because I'm not good enough. You know, a good songwriter, I think does something so magical that I've never heard a film composer come close. Wow, yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, my heart goes on. So, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, that song was a good example of a song based on a, a fragment of a theme from right. a score, and then it was turned into something else. But I knew that the expectations were very high, but I thought, well, let me finish this massive score and then we'll deal with this song thing. Right. And then they said, we need the song now. Wow. Like about three quarters of the way through. And it was like, we can we get a sketch from you this week? <laughs> so, you know, what do you do when you're a composer? You're, of course. Yeah, sure. So I think, I have it right here. <laughs> you know. And then click. Ah! <laughs> um, by the way, I just realized I showed my age by making the gesture of hanging up the phone. <laughs> you know, it's... Click. <laughs> Um, so the first thing was I thought about all the singers that I've worked with that I might want to work with on this. And, um, I started sending them tracks that those singers had done, including Lisa Gerard, who I've written, yeah. I've written songs with Lisa. Right. Um, and, uh, some LA based singers who have sung for John Williams and, and, uh, you know, great singers who can kind of are fearless and can kind of do anything right but they they already said look we want somebody with passion and guts we don't want any of the airy fairy mm. high breathy thing we right. want we want gutsy we want something powerful and they they referenced a few singers that made no sense to me mm. um so the singers that i really wanted to use no 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 and no mm. and then I was a little panicked, so I started calling some friends, going, who do you know who sings? Yeah. I mean, there's there are singers in L.A., right? Yeah. Yes, there are singers in L.A. <laughs> so a friend of mine turned me on to somebody who I've known for years, casually, just kind of as a colleague, somebody I would bump into at, you know, awards dinners right. and things, named Carrie Kimmel. Now, Carrie's written a ton of themes for TV shows. And she is a great studio singer who can do anything. She's all of the singers in Pitch Perfect. Wow. She's the Bellas. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> because the actresses couldn't hit those notes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Anna Kendrick did her own vocals, right, but right. The, the, the choir yeah. was all this one girl. Wow. So, and I listened to her original songs, and she really was fearless and could do anything. So... I sent some of her songs over, and they said, well, we don't get it, but we're closer, and we're really running out of time, and if you think she can do it, 
go for it. And so I combed through what I'd already written, and I found one little theme that I don't even remember if it's in... It isn't really... It didn't get used in the score, Mm. but I thought it was promising. And so I wrote a song, and they proved it the very first take. Wow. There were there were there was there were no revisions, but the, the the funny thing was, I didn't know what to think about lyrics, and so I called up the director. I said, "What should the song be about?" And what did he? What was it? Tragedy of ambition. The tragedy of ambition. <laughs> I thought, oh wow, that's a that's there a there you go. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a Katy Perry song. <laughs> But you also mentioned that the lyrics, of course, being in English, you said that was a bit controversial? So having a high-profile Indian film with an American composer has never been done. Right. I mean, you know, Michael Dana has scored a ton of Hollywood, uh, of Bollywood movies yeah. back in the day. You know, right. that's how one of the reasons he became so good at, you know, writing music that integrated Indian music with Western music. Yeah. Um, there's a few other American composers, quite a few American composers who have done Bollywood or, you know, Indian Indian films, but not at this level, apparently. Right. Apparently. And um, so they were they told me many, many times, you know, it's very controversial that we're using an American composer for this film and not everybody's happy about it. Wow. Um, the only music not written by me in the whole film was one thing that they called on the cue sheet was called ceremonial dance Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like a song but it is something that is it's it's a such a well-known piece of music uh from this region of india that this film takes place in that they said we this one we got covered it's like a four minute scene in the movie so that's the only thing in the movie that i didn't uh right so not only was it controversial to have an american composer because well, who needs an American composer when you have A.R. Rahman? Right. Um, but then this other thing of every Indian film has a theme song, and it gets played on the radio, it gets used in the trailers, which you never see right. on American films. It becomes its own character, its own creature in the yeah, world. Yeah. Um, and so it's how, they, it, it's how they market their films. It's with the song. So having not only an American write the song, but have it sung in English by an American singer right. was was apparently super bold. Um, they did a music video that's just a clip video from the movie, but that's how they, they ran it for a month to build um, an interest in the film. And it's somewhere on the YouTube. Um, they... they we did a we did a video of me and the and and Carrie talking about the song. They mm. they needed that for the market for the EPK or whatever right, they yeah. call it there, and so yeah, it was it was a lot of pressure. I felt weird about it. Um, I'm actually really happy with how it came out, and That's great. That's awesome. that is yeah. directly because Carrie is a really good songwriter, and she said. You know, Jeff, that part works, right. but no. Yeah. And and you know, also as she wrote the lyrics, it's like, can you give me a few more bars of this and a few wow, less bars so of that? Like a we don't need this and we don't need that. So it's still based on this thing I wrote, mm. but she knew how to how to take it into another place, and her vocals are just she's such a good singer, right. you know. Yeah. Well, that's 
what a journey that film was and i mean it's such an amazing thing yeah yeah and best of all i'm done yeah (laughs) (laughs) the film came out at the very end of february so it's playing in india now and they're as far as i know they're still working on all of their international distribution so hopefully it'll be coming to the states sometime this year now i have to admit i saw it in english and i hated the i shouldn't say that (laughs) hearing it in english and they're speaking with fairly heavy accents right wasn't nearly as emotional as hearing them speak the language they speak the best. Yes, there is yeah, a course. level of the actors have a level of conviction in their original language that they can't do when they're worrying about. Well, it's like I think for the first few years, none of the guys from ABBA spoke really knew what the words were. Right, they wrote them. Somebody wrote the lyrics in English. It was, just, it was it was phonetic, like, yeah, sounding what it sounds like, yeah. So this kind of has a little bit of that sense of it, you know, maybe they understood bits of it and it's a little yeah, phonetic. Yeah. I've been emailing a little bit with the the lead actor in the film, who's right. some huge. He's you know, he's the Johnny Depp of yeah. India, or just, I don't know if that's a good example anymore. <laughs> um, it probably was if that okay, that's maybe five years ago, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he's the Ryan Gosling there you go. <laughs> of of India at the moment. He's a handsome dude. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, working internationally, there's a language barrier, there's a time barrier, there's an expectation differential, right. there is stepping into somebody else's culture and trying to do it with some amount of reverence, some right. amount of respect yeah. for the fact that they've been doing this a lot longer than we have, and certainly I have. Right. So I wasn't about to step in and go, well, I'll, I'll do it better. Yeah. You know, I'm better than, you know the amazing composers of Indian music, not just A.R. Rahman, who's right. been such a successful crossover, right. probably India's most influential export next to Ravi Shankar. Yeah. Um, or all of the Shankars, yeah. not including Nora Jones. <laughs> doesn't count um, as an export. Um, and uh, and uh, so for me, a lot of it was listening and paying attention to the little cues that they were spe- saying to me as best they could and trying to understand that their sense of, of cinematic history right. is so much deeper than mine. And so I tried to, you know, you know, I bring my A-game to everything. Whether it comes out that way or not is another story. Right. Their expectations were high. They were happy. They let me do my thing, which is unheard of. Right. So... God bless that. <laughs> and um, and so that it's it was such a different experience than just, you know, playing around with world music in yeah. Western scores, which has been, you know, going on for 20 years with, you know, right. every other score with Duduk and every other score with, you know, world instruments of all kinds, right. just because it's a fresh color. Yeah. But there's nothing world about it per se. Right, right. Um so there's nothing brave about that. Yeah. Uh, but it's fun. And, you know, look, I'm as guilty of it as anybody, if not more so. Right. Um, you know, whenever I get stuck on a lot of my scores, I go over to my my arsenal of instruments and find something to play. And it gives me a great deal of joy. And right. I love the sound. And to me, it just, to me, all that all that is just something that says not here. Yeah. It's not about being culturally specific or culturally relevant or even culturally respectful. Right. You know, now people call it cultural appropriation, which is 
just a whole other thing that we could, <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah. But um, this was not. This yeah. was a situation where they were, they were respectful towards me in a way of, by me being respectful to them first. Absolutely. And I love that. I love that. So it was, it was a challenging process. You know, we, we struggled. They kept recutting the film and not telling us in a way that we understood. Uh, the logistics of it were, I don't want to say nightmarish. That's a little dramatic. But yeah. the, the most challenging part of the movie, of, of scoring the movie, was not scoring the movie. Yeah. Uh, I would love to talk about kind of some more big picture things. Um, as a composer kind of working in this industry, a lot of things that I get uh, people ask me are, from young composers is how do you work with directors and, and kind of what is the key to working with a, a director who is controlling versus what is the key to working with a director who maybe gives you a little bit more freedom and doesn't maybe give you the direction you need and says yeah figure it out <clears throat> have you how have you kind of found a way to balance working with those two different types of personalities right well let's think about it like this Rep ask the question again but replace the word director with person uh -huh. You know, right? So, what's it like? Producer or a director, I guess. Yeah. But let's let's start with the word person. Okay. I mean, what's it like to work with a person who is controlling versus a person who is less so? Right. What do you do with, you know, a boyfriend or girlfriend who's controlling right. or versus not? Right. You know, I guess in a way. Well, let's break it down. I have a job. Yeah. And the job is fairly straightforward. And the job has steps. One, two, three, four, five, and then you're done. Right. Step one, listening. It's the only time, well, typically when I've struggled on a movie, it's when I came in with too many ideas mm -hmm. and I wasn't listening carefully. Mm. Directors talk in code. They don't speak music. Right. And if they do, you should you should quit. You <laughs> should quit. <laughs> you should run from the room. The minute they start throwing out, you know, music jargon, you're a little fucked. <laughs> but directors talk in code. They talk in the language of emotion. Right. They talk in the language of drama. They talk in the language of storytelling. But mostly they talk in a language of what they hope to achieve in their life. Right. Why are they making a movie? Yeah. Why are they getting out of bed in the morning to basically hit themselves on the head with a sledgehammer repeatedly for up to 10 years? Yeah. Just to do one thing. Right. And the answer is because it, it matters. And that means that you really have to understand not the movie from anybody's perspective than the person who's telling the story, which is typically the director. Right. Whoever it is. The first thing you have to do is you have to let them know you're a good listener. And the way you do that is by being a good listener. Mm. Not everybody's a good listener. Um, and that's because a lot of us have egos and we don't want to come across as, you know, blank canvases. You know, it's right. like... You didn't hire me because I don't have any ideas. You hired me because I did this and this and this, and you heard something and you kind of liked it, and you yeah. thought, okay, that guy has some good ideas. But actually, all those good ideas were somebody else's, right. were, for, were for 
somebody else. Right. You know? Exactly. Different than me. Different. When you step in to somebody new or even a new project with somebody you've worked with before, you're starting over. Right. You know? You have your paints, you have your canvas, you have your brushes, you, you have your technique, you have your experiences, you have your wisdom. But if you don't begin, I think, by simply clearing off all expectations, you know, you know, there's that there's that stupid saying, you know, when you assume you make an ass out of you and me. Yeah. <laughs> well, assumptions are a huge problem. Right. Assumptions are I know more than you, so I know better than you. Right. Now I may know more than a director about this stuff. Yeah. But I don't know more about the movie. Right. And I don't know more about their life. And I don't know more about why they like to tell stories or why they want you know, the villain to uh, dress a particular way or why they want, you know, the hero to have problems with his or her boyfriend or girlfriend. Yeah. Th that's, it's, that's where it is. Right. It's how to come in with what in Buddhism is called beginner's mind or child's mind. Mm. You know, I'm open, you know. There's, there's another, well... When you, if you study uh, Zen Buddhism, there is the idea that you can't fill a cup that's full. You have to pour, You can only pour tea into an empty cup. Right. My job is really to be an empty cup, but a really good cup, hopefully. Yeah. You know that. You know. You know. Wedge wood with a nice little pattern, <laughs> and the pattern came from all of my life experiences. Right. Yeah. But uh, but on the inside, it's empty until they fill it with what they with their hopes and their thoughts, then I can do something with it. Right. So to rewind back to your question, working with different kinds of directors. Right. Yes. There's no question. There, there, there isn't a modal personality of directors. Some are very controlling. Some are micromanaging. Some hire the right people and leave you alone. Some are what I would call visionary in that they know what they want right. and you're just there to help realize it. And then there are ones who are not visionary, which is they'll know it when they hear it. Mm. And they are prone to changing their mind and then liking something one day and then not liking it the next day mm. and then maybe hopefully liking it on the third day and then you <laughs> then you put then you put that folder away and say, let's we'll come back to this on the dub stage. Um, so Look, you know, my job is to is to adapt my my methods and my thoughts to the people I'm working with. Right. Now, it's it's not I don't think it's the same as being like a doormat or a, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'll be whatever you want, you right. know, you know. Yeah. I did that when I was dating. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can I am if you want me to be. <laughs> it's, you, it, it's not that, but but the relationship is key and you know look I can tell you a joke and you'll laugh but if I tell it to somebody else they won't laugh yeah so you adapt you know when you listen to uh, comedians talk about how a joke works in some rooms and other comedians good ones talk about how as they're starting to do something they can feel the audience yeah and they know don't tell the mother-in-law joke yeah don't tell the the, the off-color joke right and they're adapting their their skills. They're adapting their their art right. to, in real time, 
to what's happening in the room at that moment, which, by the way, is brilliant. Oh, yeah. The comics, watching comics work is, like, top comics. There. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an art to it. Yeah, it's amazing. So we do the same thing, but it's, but it's just with one person. Right. If you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um, if there aren't too many cooks in the kitchen. So, you know, what I've learned, I mean, and sometimes the hard way, is that if I come in guns blazing, I've already lost. Mm. Um, now, some directors want a firm hand. They, they need a little bit of guidance, you know. They're, they're, especially if they're a little less experienced, right. they, may want, they may want you to say, you know, I really think in this scene we should just do something loud. Mm. Or, you know, yeah. some, just something specific. And go, I love that idea. Let's try it. Right. And sometimes they, they, you know, no, that's not what I had in mind, you know. Yeah. I, you know, we tempt it with cigarettes and, yeah. you know, we want something super, super chill. Right. Um, some directors will, will, will be happy to argue, some won't. But you, you know when you fuck up. You know when you've said too much too soon. Mm. Because directors, they know, they know how acting works. So they can talk to actors. Right. They know how cinematographers work. They understand lighting, they understand lenses, they understand angles, they understand time of day, they understand special effects, they understand sound, they understand CG, they understand set design, they understand uh, art direction, they understand st script sculpt, uh, structure, because a lot of them have written. Right. So directors come to a project, I don't know if we talked about this last time. I don't think so, yeah. Directors are really savvy about the process of making films with only one exception right music music yeah it's the one time where they have to say i just want something kind of bluish green you know yeah make it sound underwater <laughs> make them love the tiger <laughs> you know it whatever um directors are at their most powerless sometimes without with music yeah. Because they don't understand this, and that's not a bad thing. But where they can be empowered is when a composer sits and listens to them. Mm. Then they're in control. Right. And then I can go in and do something based on that, and they'll go, you know, that's kind of what I was hoping you would write. Right. That's a brilliant moment when it's like, wow, that's cool, that's fresh, that's not what I was ex thinking, but it's exactly what I want, and right. it works perfectly. That's that magic moment when you give them when you fulfill their vision of storytelling in a fresh way that's 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 those are good days now you've worked with so many different directors that come from different backgrounds which i, I thought was very interesting because i mean some of your uh if you worked with really scott who's one of mm -hmm. of course the most well-known directors today but other great directors like todd robinson um who wrote uh, White Squall, but yeah. end up directing Phantom. Yeah, I'm doing a movie Last with him Full in a couple of months. Coming up, yeah. Um, Samuel Rob, L. Jackson, Rob Schneider, uh, don't, don't, no. <laughs> comedian. I don't want to talk about that. Okay, um, Andre uh, Bar 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 Andre Barkoviak, Bar yeah. Exit Wounds, cinematographer, yeah. Steven Spielberg on a on a television series. Right, Steven Spielberg, very uh, hands on, and of Rob Stewart, of course, like Rob Stewart uh, for Shark Water. Yeah, coming from a documentary film background, do mm -hmm. all these directors. Because then you have to, I feel like, as a composer, you have to know what a documentary filmmaker wants. You have to know what um, an actor director wants. You have to know what a cinematographer. I mean, do you have to adapt your like? Okay, I know the mindset that he's in, or do they? Is it does not matter what their previous expertise, I guess, comes oh, into. Oh, it matters a lot. You know, if I'm if I do a project with a director I've never worked with, I'm really curious 
who they've hired before. Right. And I'm always curious to know if they've used a composer more than once. Because you'll notice some directors are a bit loyal. Yeah. They'll stay with a composer unless they're doing something really genre. Yeah, yeah. But there's some directors who... Who change every time. And have never used a composer yeah. twice. Um, and I find that interesting. But what I have learned is that I do like to know why a director... Well, it's always nice to know why a hired direct, director mm -hmm. hired you. It's, you know... Sometimes you don't want to know too much. It's right. like, you know, and you, what, you, you decide, you, you agree to a second date. Why? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, directors have, they have aesthetics. I mean, they're paid to have opinions. Right. That's really all a director does is they have opinions. Right. And, you know, yes, the blue dress. No, take the vase out of the shot. You know, no, you have to tell the joke. And, right. you know, all of that. Directors do have musical tastes. All of them. Yeah. And you know some of it from their previous films. Certainly when I meet a director, I, I love to say, well, so what do you like? You know, what do you have? You know, what do you listen to? Yeah. Um, and I'm always hoping that the answer is, oh, you know, NPR, podcasts, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but um, it also it t takes us on a, a little bit about temp tracks because of a director is, in, I guess, in love with a temp track. And I know composers um, have nightmare stories with temp tracks and how it ruins and everything and it just you can't fix something that has already been there and, yeah um, but i've also also heard the other side where if a director knows how to utilize a temp track beneficially like it can be a, actually a great tool has it, do you see a temp track as a great tool or do you see it as something that you really that gets in the way of your process you know it's like trying to talk about choreography mm. you can't you just look at it right if you're not a dancer or choreographer yeah. um for me, what I love about temp scores, and yeah, they've absolutely ruined some projects that would have been great otherwise. Right. When the director just gets too linked in. But it's a conversation starter. Yeah. You know? Starting point. They, you know, a lot of these temp scores are usually put together by editors. Yeah, the music, or the, the editors themselves. No, the picture the, editors. The picture editors, yeah. They just grab something because they need something while they're cutting, because yeah. otherwise the pace gets off. So... Then a director comes and goes, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool, or, right. you know. Yeah. So I what I like about temp music is that it's a conversation starter between me and a director who just says, there's something about that that I like. Mm. Really? Like what? Well, I like the high thing. Mm -hmm. That's enough. I can write a completely original piece of music with the high, high thing, thing yeah. and... And they'll go, oh, you got you 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 got it. You were listening. Right. So I like that. I think that's pretty cool. Um, I've been very fortunate to have a director say to me, I hate the temp score. That's I don't like anything <laughs> my editor put into this. Don't pay attention to any of it. Um, it doesn't usually stick to the <laughs> end, but that's okay. That's another thing. Right. I, I really do think that more, more, th more often than not, way more than 50% of the time, a temp score gives a composer and a director an opportunity to have a conversation that they couldn't have just talking about music in the abstract. Mm. Because, again, I speak a different language than the vast majority of directors. So it's wonderful to say, that's a really interesting piece of temp music. I wouldn't have thought of that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes temp scores are just kind of bold because, you know, you know, grabbing a Radiohead track and putting it in an action scene. Yeah. It's like, this is the most counterintuitive thing. I wouldn't have done it, right. but there's something 
kinky and awesome about it. Yeah. Let's see if we can't do that our way. Right. And I do like that. I really do. Why not? So do you think the 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 good outweighs the bad of temp tracks? Do you think they're... In my experience, yeah. Okay, that's cool. That's um, cool. And, you know, I've there's no question. Tons of directors have said, I just wish it was closer to the temp. Yeah. And, you know, so what do you do? You take a deep breath. You sigh. You think of the good old days, <laughs> you know, which are still yet to come in some cases. <laughs> and... And you say, okay, you know what? You win. I I got 10, you get 3. Right. I get 20, you get 3. Right. So <laughs> it's it's um, I, it's not a necessary evil, but it's not going away. Yeah. Editors need it. I appreciate the, what it does. You know, for one thing, it makes editing much more musical. Absolutely, the structure of it, yeah. I've never, I've only worked on a couple movies where editors cut complicated scenes not to music, and you know what? They're really hard to score. Really? A a scene that's been cut to some temp, well, if nothing else, if you match the tempo, you can write anything, and it looks really good. You have, you've already won half the battle, because tempo is, tempo is so important. But is it like similar to like if I put my hand in the snow and I take my hand out, you know the shape there is a hand, and someone says, "Well, I want to put a foot there." Now you can't. Is it similar to that where you take the music out and it's like, "Well, I want you to put a waltz in here," but no, you edit it to something else and it's not going to work. Is that similar in that you know way? I can think of I can think of a few times when musically we went in a in in the opposite direction mm-hmm. from the temp. And the temp was there when the editor was editing. Right. And by the way, editors get get way more pissed off. I've seen. I've watched editors get angry at the director <laughs> for signing off on a cue that I wrote that was completely different from the temp cue <laughs> that they picked. And it's like, now remind me again, who's driving this bus? You know, <laughs> who's who's got their hand on that rudder? But it's true. There there are, there are times when you can move quite far away and just right. make it work. But no, sometimes when there's a handprint in the snow, the best thing is take off your glove and put your hand in the snow. Right. But it's your hand. Yeah. Not, you know. <laughs> Not someone else's hand. <laughs> yeah. We're getting a little flowery there, but uh, I like it. I like it. I'm going to have to steal that hand in the snow. It's good. Snow. Um, so kind of looking at your career overall, and um, do you feel like you are a better storyteller than you are now, than you were when you started? Oh, God. I'm better than I was two weeks ago. <laughs> so do you... I was I'm interested in, like, do you, like, do you have a career, like, I'm almost like a job interview, do you have a career checklist? Do you have a goal? You set goals for yourself, like, personal goals, like, by this year, I want to accomplish this with my career. I, this is where I want to be with my music. Or do you, do you track your progress, or do you just kind of live no. in the moment and just... You know, I, I didn't pick this career. It yeah. picked me. Right. Um, and, you know, along the way, certain opportunities popped in. It's not like I, you know, right. my roommate in college played me a film score and I became a film composer. Right. Luckily it wasn't a porn video and you became a, a porn director. I actually yeah. did work on one. <laughs> you worked on um, porn? Well, I didn't... <sighs> no. Although I'm one, of the, I'm one of the very few composers I know who hasn't done some kind of porn. Right. Uh, you know, Danny Elfman did Cafe Flesh. Yeah. Um, sort of, which is sort of an underground classic porn film that his, I think, was that the one his brother? No, his brother did a cult film that he scored before he was... Right. Anyway, but I had one of my music teachers, who was my private teacher, uh, when I was around 20, 21. Right. 
he got hired to score a hardcore porn film. But for some reason, he decided to take this very seriously, and he really <laughs> wow. applied himself. He wrote it for a live ensemble. Oh it was goodness. like a like a, a, a like a jazz group, and <laughs> um, and he did click tracks. He did streamers and punches and a digital metronome, <laughs> and I mean, he really did this full on. And um, and actually, he brought me to to meet the uh, editor, who. You know, not a sleazy guy. He was a good editor. Right. He just needed the money and was cutting a hardcore porn, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I... But you uh, did not score a porn film. I didn't score it, but you know, I've written a couple of books on film music. Yeah. And I wrote, um, I wrote a book on, uh, synchronizing. Mm. And it's obsolete now, but when I wrote it, it was harder to synchronize computers and, and, <coughs> and, and, uh, uh, video but when i wrote that book i actually so the name of the porn film was the starlets and and my teacher was named fred and so i actually dedicated the book on the front page says to fred and the starlets <laughs> and the book is still in print for yeah. some reason um so that i've dedicated a book to, to a porn film. To a porn film. But it is where I learned about click tracks and and spotting and starts and stops. And it was actually very, it was very helpful. I learned a lot. Wow. Watching somebody score, score this film. film. So what were we talking about? We were talking about, <laughs> I, made, I made a joke. You were saying. Who are you? <laughs> where are Wait, we? Wait, would you put your clothes back on, please? <laughs> That's why I'm not in front of this, the camera. This, I did not sign up for this. <laughs> we were talking about. And I'm about... feeling a little, I'm just feeling a little intimidated right now. Okay. <laughs> You said you went to the point where your roommate showed you Jerry Goldsmith's score. Oh, yeah, 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 right, right, And we're talking right, right. about career and... Okay, thank yes. you. <laughs> Back on track. Um, you know, I don't think I've really... My career has not been based on setting a goal and then achieving a goal. Okay, yeah. My goal is the same every single day. I just... To do a little better today than I did yesterday. Right. And I don't think that's changed in... I've been doing this for 20 plus years. Yeah. Um, like 25 years. Um, every project is different. Every project is new. Every project I finish, I'm a little bit disappointed. And I just vow to try a little harder the next time. So, you know, it's important to me to get better. Mm. Um, I don't feel like I've arrived at any plateau. Right. I have, you know, I have a collection of credits and that's great. And I'm proud of the credits. And I'm right. proud of the fact that I've done these. I listen to them. And sometimes I go, oh, I was kind of... By the way, I have an exceedingly... As you've already learned. I have an exceedingly poor memory. And one of the things I'm really good at forgetting is anything I've written musically. Uh -huh. So I often go back to some old scores. And I'll just... I'll go, what is that? Wow. And wow. I, forgot, I forgot that I wrote it. I forgot how I wrote it. And I think to myself, I have no idea how I do, did that. <laughs> and I don't think I could do it now. Wow. Um, but that's just because I've evolved a lot over yeah, the, over absolutely. a couple of decades. Yeah. So all that said, um, I don't think it's healthy for me to view life as a series of goals to mm -hmm. be achieved. To me, it's about, well, the cliche is to say it's about the journey and not the destination. Absolutely. But a yeah. goal is a destination. Exactly. And I've just never been good at that. 
I can look at any score I've written and think, well, here's what I could have done better. Right. And then that's the first thing I'll try to do the next time. But for me, the satisfaction of any project is avoiding a mistake that I've made in the past mm. and trying to do something a little better than I've done before. And while I'm doing it, I love it. And then when I'm done, I'm disappointed. <laughs> so I have to do another one. Absolutely. So that I get a better, I get one more chance, yeah. you know, until one day I won't. <laughs> well, Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. Of course, oh my thank goodness. you. So enlightening, so funny, so um, so much fun. Thanks for walking us through your process and and. Uh, Did I mention that the VROM score is on Sony Classics? It's on Sony Classics. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> and Spotify and iTunes. And oh, it's everywhere. you know, and something dot ru yeah, and dot ru <laughs> and, and torrent and. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely there. No, you know, Kaya, I, I if I may, I want to thank you. Because, you know, what I do is a kind of a quirky niche thing. And I know that film music has gotten a little more visibility in the last few years. We were talking about the fact that there is a lot of live right. concerts and, right. you know, big venues are yeah. selling out for people going to see, you know, film scores either where they're doing the movie with, the, you know, music uh, live or concerts of right. film music. Yeah. You know, it, to me, it's, it's, every day is a humbling day. Every day is a little tiny triumph and a couple of defeats. Because very few people understand um, the thing I do. Right. Um, and, you know, the process has nothing, you know, nobody goes to see a movie because, to, to understand something about the composer right. or what the composer went through. And, um, and yet, obviously, I've spent my entire life doing this kind of one thing. So, you know, we all kind of want to feel a little understood. Mm -hmm. uh, there's something about communal experiences and sure. communal culture that sure. film music is and isn't at the same time. You know, right. um, very few things that I've read or seen have really depicted what film composers do. And I don't know that this video enlightens anything more um you know talking about specific things um but i do want to say that it's people uh like you who early on bef before it was even remotely sort of nerd cool <laughs> and i think films film geeks are nerd cool right but you were nerd cool before it was cool to be nerd cool <laughs> and and i think the fact that you had that your passion has been to share your passion right. with as wide an audience as possible is fabulous. Okay. And, and um, you know, we're not celebrities. Well, except for John Williams. <laughs> uh, we're not celebrities. And, and for good reason, you know. Um, but we do this thing and it resonates because, and not, not to go on and on, because I was here to say, you know, just thank you. But, you know, if you were to ask me what is the one thing a film composer does... I would say, very simply, our job is to create experiences. Yeah. Because every what is it that we do that isn't just for the experience? Our entire lives are a series of experiences. And when we enjoy them, we do them again. But what do you do that isn't for the experience? Absolutely. Even eating lunch, it's for the experience right. of tasting food and feeling not hungry. Right. <laughs> so but those are experiences. So life yeah. is about experiences. Movies are are manufactured experiences. Yeah, absolutely. At a level that no other art form has ever done. 
so participating in film, TV, video games, whatever it is. Yeah. And the fact that there's music in depictions of life that don't have music, you right. know? Right, yeah. That's an amazing thing, and you've tapped into that. Um, and in a way, this video is about is an experience that people will have of, oh, I didn't know that, I, you know? I didn't realize that, you know, they were hiring the mentally handicapped to go and <laughs> score movies. Um, but, you know, hey, there are a lot of dysfunctional film composers, aren't there? Yeah. Can You, you want to name a few? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> no, because you might want to do another interview with Maybe, them. Maybe, yeah, I want to keep doing these. Um, so, you know, yeah, thank you. The, oh, you thank you're, you. You're, shining a, you're shining a light in, in, a, in an interesting little corner of... I don't want to say American culture, but I think you're shining a light in in culture, and um, it's it's fun, you know. Yeah. Television is filled with actors and actresses telling ridiculously boring stories, and for some reason, people really care about what actors and actresses think. Yeah. And you know the funny thing that happened to them when they were walking their dog, and right. somebody jumped out of a car and took a pic. You know. Yeah. These, the, I mean, right. all of late night television is just actors and actresses telling banal stories. Yeah. I mean, you know, how often do, you know, when was the last time a cinematographer was on The Tonight Show? Exactly. When was the last time a picture editor was on, you know, uh, TV? Right. And actually, when was the last time a film composer was on a talk show? I don't think it's ever. Well, I mean, Hans was just on. He was on he, the Cold yeah. Colbert, but did he, <laughs> he, did did he speak? He did not. He did no. not speak. <laughs> you know, his publicist got it because he has his tour is coming exactly. to the United States. That's a slightly crass thing to say, but his, yeah. you know, that's why he was on. Right. You know, on on the show and Coachella and all that. So no. Yeah, that's true. The internet, you know, it's people. You're the only person who you're one of a very small number of people right. and you're the main person who allows composers to speak whether that's interesting or whether that's a good thing or not <laughs> that's not for me to say and it's might not even be for you to say <laughs> exactly. but it's it it it's a complicated job there are some film composers who really are some of my very favorite people yeah i'm really I, one of the things one of the perks of the job is to have a few colleagues who are truly important people in my life. And it's inspiring, you know, and I'm humbled by the people who I have lunch with almost, you know, all the time. Yeah. And and um, we, a lot of us don't get out much. We don't have, we've given up a lot to do what we do because we love doing it and because we get to be part of storytelling. And you've you've uh, helped shine a light on that. And I wanted to thank you for oh, that. Thanks, I, I mean that no. quite sincerely, you know. After <laughs> well, you shut this off, I'll, you know, say some horrible things about you but for right now i i'm i really am grateful not just for the opportunity for me to do it but for the for the fact that you've given some really fascinating people uh, a chance to say a few words about you know something that is hard to talk about right well i, I wouldn't be here without you so it's mutual where i would not be sitting here if it wasn't for your music and the many other composers music oh, that's that, very kind of you that brought me to la to pursue its career and and to do this on the side so thank you so much for your time Jeff it's been such a pleasure fist bumps now please put your clothes back on it's <laughs> all right really, uh, pants are coming back I'm, on. I'm slightly okay. you know I'm, I'm I, I can't stand up 